Greetings from the Seventh Circle. <laughs> yeah, trucks. Dad the Dead. Yes. It's the thankly loved classic now. Uh, cast and crew going through. Again, writer, director, Giorgio Romero, all that stuff. Cast-wise, my favourite actor in all three of these films, uh, who is... I've, I've seen a lot of people say he's one note and shouty. He fucking isn't. No, he's not. I he's love great. It, this character as well. Um, uh, I love the way this character interacts with uh, Logan or Frankenstein, as he's uh, referred to as. There's a subtlety that I will talk about in the certain scene, the, the meeting scene. Yeah, it's um, a subtlety you get um, that's only presented because you get the contrast between him and Steel. Yes. I think. Mm. Well, I, th- I think people who say he's shouty don't quite remember what Steel's like. Yeah, yeah. Through it. And that they get what. I don't want to go full fucking army, but what an officer's like to some extent. You, you still get that element. Yeah, but anyway. Uh, Joe Pilato as Captain Rhodes, who, as I said earlier, he was in a screening apparently. Um, <laughs> in like a, a fucking. Uh, oh, God, of Day of the Dead. And just started shit talking in front of Kim on the screen, which is so fucking funny. God bless Joe Pilato and rest in peace, unfortunately. Oh. Uh, he left us last year. Wow. Really hitting home some of these old things. Uh, he was also in Effects, The Last Seduction 2, uh, The Ghouls, and he was in Wishmaster. Always love to see people come back into Wishmaster. <laughs> because I mean, Wishmaster, I think, is almost like a. Uh, uh, like a, what's the fucking word? A watermark mm. for great '80s and '90s icons, and Joe Pilato absolutely belongs in that list. Absolutely excellent. Uh, and then going down the list, the best woman in the franchise by far. Yeah, definitely. Um, not, as much as I high fucking bar. <laughs> as much as I've made a few excuses for some of the women in the uh, first two. Uh, this character certainly feels like a step up in terms of an actual uh, person. Uh... Uh, Laurie, apologies, uh, Laurie Cardill as Sarah, who's been in, and this is one of the ones I had to look up, uh, several short films, and the author of a book called I'm Gonna Tell, uh, dot, 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 ellipsis and all that, an official offbeat teller survival, which is a book on childhood abuse, uh, that's reviewed really damn well if you look online. I was really worried for a moment that she'd gone through a kind of um, iCarly situation with Jeanette McCurdy where mm. she was abused mid-career and that's why she didn't have anything after. Oh, I don't know if you yeah. heard about all that um, with one of the actresses from iCarly released a book about how a mom abused her oh. through that oh, yeah. uh, as a child. It's a great book. Um, I, I've got it somewhere on my shelf but I'm too blind to see in the dark, unfortunately, and it's it's now night time. It's dark out. Yeah, it's now night time. We started recording at three. It's now ten. <laughs> it's a great book. Um, <laughs> I was worried it was the same situation, but luckily it doesn't look like it was. And she was just doing other stuff meantime. But she's a great actress, and I will read the book. I've ordered it already on Amazon, and uh, I can't say I'm looking forward to it. But apparently, it's amusing bizarrely hmm. um, in the way it's wrote 
so I suppose in order to, yeah yeah to write a book like that it if you're too morose then yeah, it's just yeah 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 um, and then going through we've got Richard Liberty as Frankenstein who was in the crazies if I remember rightly he played the doctor in that huh. uh, who was in charge with the army same kind of role actually uh, but more he plays it well it, he's my other uh, favourite actor um, in this personally as um, he he's not like he's not like wild manic crazy scientist doctor kind of person it's kind of it's but it's not subtle either he has a kind of manic uh, uh, look in his eyes at all, almost all times, but it's like he's very calm at the same time. What I'd say to anyone watching this, if you compare him directly to uh, Doc Brown, Christopher Lloyd's character in Back to the Future, mm. that's that's what a mad scientist properly looks like if they go off the deep end. And it's great in Back to the Future, you know. I'm not disparaging that at all. Oh yeah, but it's it more it's a bit more cartoony. Entirely. It's a bit uh, over the top. It's for comedy, you know. He's a he's a comedic yeah. character, whereas Fr- yeah, yeah. Logan or Frankenstein is is not a comedy character. He's he's a he's a very serious character. Um, he is kind of the unfortunate recipient of a Greek tragedy that goes through this, where someone is so embittered on finding results and so pragmatic and so um, yeah, there's, kind of taken away from humanity that he's he believes what he's doing is right. There's a kind of parallel with the uh, Doctor with the eye patch from Dawn of the Dead on the interviews in Dawn of the Dead. Where you know you know that moment where he's rubbing his thumb and going, we have to remain logical. We have to remain logical. In the meeting scene, Frankenstein kind of repeats himself about you know domestic food and everything. No, with the the, the domesticating, uh, he basically is yeah. talking about how there needs to be a reward for good behaviour. Otherwise, there's no need for it. There's no need for it at all. He kind of and he he kind of says something to that end several times in a row repeats himself and, it, and there's a look in his eyes like he's trying to re- remind like like it's something he's saying to himself more than anyone else well, yeah in in comparison to the guy with the eye patch you know with the eye patch you had kind of that the idea of um, loss and with Frankenstein's character the design on him the makeup work is so spectacularly good where you've got this yes. unshaven look this hair that's very mad scientist-esque but still within reason it looks like he hasn't slept in fucking weeks yeah which he probably hasn't i mean most of them haven't yeah it's tension that's bubbling and a theme you'll see with day of the dead um through every character is how they deal with absolute stress yeah and for dr frankenstein it's throwing himself into his work and taking that as just all that matters, uh, which is, as far as I'm concerned, and maybe I'm biased here as an alcoholic, <laughs> but just as relevant as the guy who McDermott who decides alcohol is the way forward. Yeah, um, I think just as justified. Pretty much, yeah. I should say, uh, and talking about which, you certainly don't, you certainly don't look down on him for it. <laughs> no, I, I look, don't talk. Either of them, either of the two that don't give a shit anymore. Yeah. I don't look down on them no, at all. They are completely reasonable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jolliffe, uh, Corny, who plays McDermott, who was in a load of fucking stuff, uh, a lot of films and shorts, biggest of which was Law and Order. He was a mainstay in that. 
Uh, and he, yeah, he just gives up. <laughs> yeah, and he's... he gets drunk, and that is his state entirely. And it Although works fine. he does throw the flask away at the end. Although that's because it's yeah. empty. But there's kind of a, there's always a bit of symbolism in that kind of motion, uh, action in the film, and so uh, it's kind of hinted at that maybe he's given that up now. And it's the same with Terry Alexander, really, uh, as John, who he's given up on humanity. You, you gather, and he kind of goes, "What will be, will be." Yeah. Uh, find my island, live on it. But he, he kind of stands up morally to save the two people he likes. Yes. And um, which is slightly out of his own philosophy. Yes. He purports through it. Uh, he was in Conspiracy Theory, uh, Hurricane Street, House Free, great film. Uh, Flashpoint. Not actually Jamaican as well. He's from California. He okay. puts on one hell of an accent. Yeah, he does actually. I didn't for a moment think it was put on. So, yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Um, and one other person I want to quickly mention who I think does a really good job as well is Gary Howard uh, Clark as Steel, uh, Private mm. Steel. Yes. Who's in uh, Chattachuchi, uh, Calatman, Pink Calalak, and Hackers. Uh, who, yeah. Uh, I know a lot of people kind of like to whisk over the... I don't want to say one note, to be fair. He almost appears it through it, but there's a certain nuance to him yeah, that yeah. comes out in a lot of scenes. In comparison, certainly, to his companion, that is very one note, definitely. Yeah, both of the companions are just kind of... Like, uh, I think... Um, where is it? What is he, what is he called? The one that nearly gets killed at the very beginning. Um fuck me i've got his name it's uh miguel no not miguel it's oh the, not miguel it's what it's uh his friend yeah it's steals like. steals guy um all i'll tell you is i've put them down somewhere and i can't remember yeah, where but i've to... said discount um discount bizarro boron world john belushi and john goodman <laughs> <laughs> So I've put them down. But as, they're like um, a completely unfunny. Like, and they're, that's they're, what I'm going to continue to. Whenever they try and be funny, it's so unfunny. It's just misogynist. Which is how it should be. Yeah, they, they. It's not I've like. I've met it, people like that in real life. Yeah, it certainly. The film certainly doesn't present them as good, good for doing that. It's like the racists from uh, the uh, from Dawn. Yeah. Uh, it's not. It presents racism. It, it doesn't hold back on presenting it, but same then, as sexism as well. Yeah, against this. Sarah, um, explicitly, I suppose in this case, not kind of implicitly in the film work, uh, and intentionally, definitely, which I don't think I can quite say for Dawn and Night, unfortunately. Mm. Special mention as well against Tom Savini in special effects, his best showing ever. Yeah. Dawn of the Dead, I think the reason why Dawn of the Dead with Blue Zombies doesn't work for me as well is because Day of the Dead zombies are fucking like, you know, just just chef's kiss, perfect, just looks unbelievable. And the gore in this film is unbelievable. It, the stomachs falling out. The oh my god! The the bodies being ripped apart when the the, the the military guys are killed at the end. The choke on them scene, where he's got his fucking legs ripped off and the the, the intestines just come out and the oh my god, it's so well done. 
it's never been replicated as well ever no no you wouldn't i mean you wouldn't i mean would you do it these days i mean would there be anyone around to do it i, I don't know to be fair i mean, i suppose um <laughs> tom savini's still kicking about yeah but luckily. the problem with um i think the main reason i i mean i don't have a problem with cg um uh, per se but my problem with it is that because it's an option filmmakers tend to use it because it's typically you know simpler and easier because there are more people working in cg industry than you know practical effects now but it means that less over time even less and less people will be working in practical effects if you do want them you're never going to get this kind of stuff again i i hope there's still going to be that yeah i hope so but it's like you're gonna need to be niche and you're never gonna get as much work to refine your craft because most people are gonna go to the cg guys or whatever and there's there's still something that i think horror fans just just love just squeal about seeing that kind of yeah clay head being chopped in two and i mean i was watching fucking um oh i can't remember it's a supermarket slasher Mm. Uh, the name i can't recall at all add sam raimi bruce campbell and ted raimi in it as well uh that i just loved like intruder that's the name intruders i fucking adored it i mean you could see the clay you could see the practical effects showing but so pushes into the cinematic effect of all of it that you look past every part of it and you just smile Brain Dead is mostly practical as well, isn't it? Brain Dead is so magical. Brain well. Dead, I think, is what is uh, one of the few films that rivals this in terms of like gore, practical effects, but in a different way. It's more slapstick. Most blood ever. Yeah, it's more yeah. slapstick in Brain Dead. So it's going for a different feel, but it's on par with it in terms of like impress- how impressive it is, in my opinion. Hundred percent. Um, quickly go. Budget uh, ten million US dollars of inflation accounted and inflation accounted uh, box office thirty four million still a profit massive profit yeah uh, less as I said because I I suppose there was a lot of yeah zombie stuff coming out at the time and as I said the critics weren't quite as infatuated no which I mean I think part of me thinks they just didn't like it as much as dawn and night which isn't much of a disparagement. No, and like you mentioned, um, there were a lot more zombie. There were a lot of zombie films, other zombie films released the same year. Yeah, I wouldn't so say it's it saturation like it is now, but I mean, it was. It would be, it, undoubtedly it was com- compared to Night and Dawn, and Night and Dawn weren't just great films. They were influential, you know. They were br- groundbreaking. Whereas Day is not so much groundbreaking as it is just a fantastic film, in, you know, in itself, and just it's it's just a film, really. It's not as groundbreaking as uh, Night or Dawn, which it doesn't just need to be. Taking what's done, yeah, taking what's done and just refining it, perf- in my opinion. Yeah, refining and perfecting. I love how this film draws like inspiration in terms of how it's staged, and how it's themed, and how the characters interact, and the situations it's kind of like night and dawn come together in some ways because you've got the singular location that they're held up in like both of them but and uh, it's kind of like a 
you know, the bunker is basically the mall, really. Um, but even more so, like it's even more, even more claustrophobic, even more claustrophobic, even more trapped, even more illusory um, protection. You know, they feel safe down there, but they're not. There's no, re- they don't actually feel safe down there, even though they have thick wads of concrete in between them and anyone, and <laughs> everyone else. Outside of that, you, you re- I think you really hit on something kind of uh, interesting where it's both an illusion of safety and an illusion of freedom as well to, to some extent, or at least a, a push against the confinement. Is in Dawn, you've got them doing the Barrel of Monroe shit, the hockey stadium, which is massive, and trying yeah. to shoot off that. In this, you've got the tropical scene that they try to set up in the house, and which mm. is just depressing. Yeah, that and is you- really, really sad. And it's... the caravans that are set up down the side as well that you get in mm. one scene that I, I felt just this massive bunker and yet you're so confined at the same time. Yeah, yeah. We've got their little... Yeah, the, little... Tro- the tropical scene. You're just awful. <laughs> <laughs> I really... I like the caravan though. It's really homely. I, I, I found it quite cute. Cornish bastard. No, but the, the way they decorated it, it's like an actual... Everywhere else, oh, yeah, it's yeah. like uh, a military... It's just like very bare bones. You know, where Sarah and Miguel sleep is really like... Kind of like, not a hospital, but like kind of... It's very grey and white. It's it's blank. You know, there's no... It's no... It's not a lived space. It's not somewhere you'd say is your home, you know. Whereas the car- the little caravan, they have decorated it to be like a home because they they want to settle. That's what their those two characters want. It's to like go off and just enjoy the rest of their life and have a home. Whereas you can't have a home in the situation that they're in in the bunker because it's not a home. It's it's where you do research. It's where you you know deal with fucking trying to try and somehow figure out this zombie you know, apocalypse and how to deal with it. It's not a place you live in. They don't live there. They just they 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 just have, they're just there. They work there. It's like living at the workplace almost. Jesus Christ. But like God, not... if if working from home couldn't make you more depressed. <laughs> yeah, imagine if instead of working from home you lived at work. <laughs> it's it's that that's that's what I've decided this film is now is now. <laughs> uh, I quickly jump very quickly through trivia. Um, budget was halved. Uh, the original script described by Tom Savini as the Ben Hur of zombie films. Uh, Land of the Dead, I think. Yeah. Took a lot of inspiration I think from the original script. I was going to say that's probably where Land of the Dead comes from. And I think the setting for this is better. I don't know if that was down to the I location think... scout who came up with something amazing. I'm glad both Day and Land exist, if Land is heavily inspired by the original script of Day. I'm glad they both exist, because Day is... It's closer to the first two, and that narrower scope, that restriction, breeds more, like, creativity in a lot of uh, cases, and I think that the story is much more focused, and the the limited cast is always helpful as well, because you really get to know them, everyone involved, and so whenever anything happens to anyone, it's usually more affecting. Yeah, um, and I'm talking about which the the actual constraints on the filming space themselves. 
Yeah. Uh, first things first, it's humid as shit, apparently, down there. It was real hell while shooting, uh, to the point where the cow guts used on roads far later in rotted due to the fridge breaking. Yeah. It smelt bad, uh, <laughs> to put it lightly, which we'll go into in more detail when we get to it. Uh, the underground facility wasn't a soundstage, of course. It was shot in some place called the Wampa Mine, a former limestone mine near Pittsburgh, which is being used in an underground storage facility. <laughs> Something like 2,500,000 square foot mine. Oh, wow. That is massive. Fucking. Yeah, uh, absolutely gigantic. And George Romero uh, claims this is his favourite film. I. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I of can the imagine. original. I, yeah, I mean, for, for when I said night or day is my favourite, I really do mean, like, they change over time. Like, as of right now, night is my favourite, but at times day has been my favourite and it's gone back and forth over the years because I've known, I've I watched these films for time when I was, what, 17? And that was 14 years ago. Like... And ever since then, I've gone back to them over and over again because I just love these films. And it just, my opinion of which one's my favourite changes almost every time I go back. And yeah, I can, yeah, this being George Romero's favourite, yeah, that, that's, that, it's a Makes really, yeah. really good film. It's really, they are all so good. Yeah, despite it makes a lot of sense. I think that this is his favorite. This is the culmination of a lot of different threads he's built up. Yeah. I mean, I, I said right at the start, uh, seven hours ago, six hours ago now, <laughs> that yeah, that narratively, I think the Dead trilogy hold up as a trilogy better than almost anything else. Um, comparatively, that's like Lord of the Rings with like the hero's journey. Yeah, yeah. Well, The Lord of the Rings has the advantage in it, an adaptation of a story that was originally just one book, but it was so big, the, uh, you know, the, the, the publishers said, uh, it's too big, break it up into three books. And they could space out just so perfectly. Yeah, um, it's because Lord of the Rings is just one story, it's just, it's spread out over three books or three films in the film. Yeah. Okay. And, it, and like the same way as that kind of deals with corruption, it deals with the hero's journey, it deals with pushing good against evil. Uh, this so perfectly deals along the three films. I, I suppose more impressively in a way, because Lord of the Rings was that one book. Yeah, um, yeah. And deal with desperation and how humanity decides to fight against that in each film and stress generally and just the inevitability of dying. Uh, which in this film comes to a crux where you see every single character dealing with death in a different way. Um, so even like the characters that you hate, Steel and his psychic, whose name I can't remember and I don't think I care to, um, they deal with it in a certain <laughs> way. Uh, That's, I suppose you consider toxic to everyone else around them, but it is a way of dealing with the idea that you're fucked. Rickles. Um, Rickles, shit, yeah. I wrote it down in my notes at the bottom of my notes rather than the top. That was smart. Yeah, it's Rickles. And then there's another one. I think Torres or is it John Johnston? I think the, the only ones I really give a fuck about um, 
uh, Steel, Rickles, uh, Captain Rhodes, and the civilian population. The rest, yeah, the rest are kind of die off and hand. Yeah, yeah, they're not really. They're, they're, they're not significant. Uh, and I'm not. I'm not saying anything against that. They are used in uh, interesting ways, despite that. Yeah, but they're kind of um, just bodies in a way for yeah. the uh, military side to have. You know, a, you know. Importantly, to there's there's a scene where they're fighting partway through that's very important. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, to show that they're they're actually under stress, regardless yeah. of what's shown. In the same way that Sarah and I'll go into this right now, we're going to scene by scene. Uh, it starts with the dream sequence. One of my favorite um, sequences in the film. What a brilliant way to start this fucking film. It this the first time I saw it genuinely it's one of the most effective jump scares uh, that i've ever experienced because it got me it just it just and it's the hands it's the hands coming through the wall it's so it's such a striking image the zombies forever reaching for you like they're coming they they are coming they are reaching for you and eventually they will get you in their grasp um, I mean, you know. and that's the important part. Like Sarah, that's her perspective. Yeah. On the whole thing, and to get that she is terrified as well um, is so important for her character through it to to know fully, despite what every other person says that she's holding up well, that she's doing this and that. No, she's fucked. Yeah. The <laughs> first thing you completely gone. The first thing you see in this film is a dream sequence where she is, which reveals that she is absolutely terrified of what is going on. Obviously, because you would be. And then one of the first important interactions after this first thing afterwards is her boyfriend accusing her, saying, like, oh, you can deal with it. You know, you're, you, you're uh, way better than me at dealing with this situation, aren't you, basically? And it's, it's like, hmm. He clearly just doesn't know what she's hiding on the inside. Who's like. Yeah, I, she is as fucked as they are, just handling it in a different way. After that, after we see that she is fucked and we get kind of a an idea of the disposition that everyone's in, absolutely everyone's in, um, we see what the actual world's like to kind of just to give justification to that disposition. Um, the world's fucked. They they fly to a city, and they are trying to find someone. There's one. Uh, someone stays on the radio uh, in the helicopter. Using the radio to try and like contact someone, whereas the other two, Sarah and the girl, go and basically just use a megaphone. To go, hello, can anyone hear me? Hello, over and over again, and there's just no one. It echoes through the city, and then after like a little while, you just get a like a moan or groan from a zombie, and then slowly more and more zombies start. You know, revealing themselves and moving, and like they're awaking, like they've run out of flesh to eat, so they're just like been dormant all this time in this city. They've just been like laying there or sitting there doing nothing, and now all of a sudden there's this noise, and they're like, "Ooh, food!" And they find they've finally stirred for presumably the first time in ages, maybe eight, like God knows how long it's been since these zombies have eaten, 
And uh, you see a, a spider running off of one. You see a skeleton one. Yeah, yeah. And it's completely right the way. You see a paper that really comes out nicely. The dead walk just before you see one of them start a shadow come over, mm. and start pushing around. Um, a crocodile going with them. Yep. As well. I love that crocodile. Or alligator. I don't know the difference. I Probably I know alligator. one of them is water, primarily, and one of it's them is something about teeth. I yeah. think, that you can tell. Um, Maybe. I, I, in Florida, I suppose. It's probably an alligator. <laughs> yeah. And you get this kind of chorus line from the zombies as well, as they're pushing on. It reminded me a lot of um, Zulu from the Michael Caine film, where you, you had this kind of train-esque sound. Rather, you had the chorus of zombies walking and waddling along, adding to this kind of deafening... Uh, Black Parade, if we want to take from My Chemical Romance. <laughs> Which is, yeah, it's um, ongoing. It feels more natural disaster than yeah, actual yeah. reality it, at this point. Well, once it like zooms out and shows the entire like the crowd, it re- yeah, it really does feel like that. It's like this isn't. It, I mean, it's it's a force anyway, but it really yeah. it visually looks like. It seems that certainly when you see the chorus and you see the uh, choir just wandering down, and at the fence as well, I think they become less individuals and more just a wave of force of zombies, yeah, charging in, uh, which is again contrasted against Bob later in, where you see some humanity from them, and you're reminded kind of oh who the real bad guys, not to be cliche, but who the real bad guys the fucking people stopping anything going forward um, to an extent actually <laughs> I, I, on a rewatch <laughs> when I was I watch through these things twice I go once to properly watch through it and then I take notes on the second mm-hmm. um, on the second rewatch I, I had some sympathy for Pilato at the start like the first five seconds of his appearance yeah like it, it, it so- fell away very quickly yeah. but <laughs> the soldiers Oh, interesting because they are in a te- they are in a fucking horrific situation too, and they are fucked. Like, but it's it's clear in terms of the the film as a film that you are watching, it's clear that they are hateful. You know, they are they're not one dimensional, but they are. It's supposed to be enjoyable when they die. <laughs> And it and it is, it it is, it really is, especially uh, uh, Rhodes. Yeah, especially Rhodes. I love I love that scene so much. I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about that one. I think Day is actually my favourite. When talking about it, Day is probably my favourite because I just I just revel in this film. Like in so terms much. of death scenes, that has to be in your top death 10. scenes. This is oh. Yeah, in the in the as far as the trilogy is concerned, it has the best uh, gore and the best zombies. I'm not talking just trilogy. I'm saying like in terms of death scenes, that is top ten all time. That Shit that right death, there. that one death from Rhodes. Yeah, he's screaming choke on them after his fucking legs have already been ripped off. Anyway, we need to we need yeah, to get man. there first. Oh, so the much. the music for this scene is uh, I really like as well. The uh, uh, for the and then it's very synth 
this yeah, time yeah, around. Yeah, yeah um, because they've got an actual up. composer now. I don't know if you they have a composer for Dawn. Got their name down, actually. Yeah, uh, have... John Harrison, uh, composing music and played by the band Modern Man. All very synth-driven. Mm. I like which, it. Different to Goblin. Um, yes. I, yes. I, you know, I'm not going to say I prefer Goblin. I think for the era, everything was correct. Night, for Dawn, for Day, they're right. I love that each film has a very different soundtrack to each other, very different styles, which helps really create a unique character to each of the films. Even besides all of the, you know, obviously the visual um, side to it, but just that it immediately gives the the, the films their own identity um, and really distinguishes them from one another and makes each film uniquely um, uh, worthwhile as film. And yeah. and why it's completely understandable why so many different people would have a different favorite in the trilogy because there's because they are it, it, there's so much differentiating each film which um we pretty much immediately get to the kind of confinement area the underground facility which you initially see is the above ground very vietnam-esque yeah if you were talking about other films it's it's reminiscent very much of like full metal jacket of um platoon where you see someone in short sleeves working on something to the side and these tents set up with these Colt M16s mm. sitting around. Uh, it's yeah, very Vietnam with the gates around as well. And kind of tropical, has to be said. Um, there's some music shoved in that sounds kind of uh, equator line. You know, you've got this Caribbean <laughs> stuff coming occasionally, uh, African drums shove in sometimes it's got this heat to it yeah and it's clear that where they fly to is probably somewhere tropical as well at the end yeah I, it just feels very um southern yeah in terms of the states at least yeah i got i get the impression it might be florida i think it'd have to be because i think there genuinely are like some fucking palm trees the, the, in the, the corner you see it's definitely east coast because they're Sarah at some one point mentions go get they need the you know like talks about Washington and how they'll be coming and looking for us. I don't know that always gave me the impression that it was near Washington D.C. or re- like on the East Coast. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it, it it definitely felt East Coast. I. I don't know. I might be assuming. I might be making an assumption there, but I don't know. I, I, was... I suppose the assumption with the Jamaican as well. Mm. Sitting around, there's an idea that he's closer to home, and that's a, a kind of clue of roughly where they are. Yeah, I think Florida's a decent idea. Um, but that they land down there, and you get an immediate just sink into the situation. There's a, a grave on the side, which is for the ex major. Yes, and what you see in this film is Major Cooper. Yeah, Major Cooper is dead, and you see the the coup, not the coup, yeah. sort of, just the, the promotion. The upheaval, yeah, the promotion upheaval of civility by Captain Rhodes. This is the downturn for the whole community. Everything's going fucking bad for everyone around from now. As um, um, Fisher, one of the scientists, says, 
I thought Major Cooper was an asshole. Yeah. Out of the, out of the, uh, out of the frying pan into the fire. Yeah. So, they find out that Captain Rhodes is in charge, and then we get a scene with Captain Rhodes. <laughs> and this is after you see more fucked up shit. Miguel oh, yeah, is yeah, yeah. screwed. Uh, you, throughout the entire film, and I really like this. He's always, I don't want to say an arsehole, because it's just clearly mentally, dis- mentally disturbed. He's mentally disturbed every single scene. Yeah, he's, he's not in. He's not okay. He is, he's, 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 he's Barbara. He's, he's yeah. practically Barbara um, in a lot of ways. He is pretty useless, but, he's, but instead of what Barbara's doing, did, sorry, he's just, he's trying to push, he's pushing himself to do way more than he's capable of doing. And it ends up putting people in danger. And, and yeah, and you, you're kind of told in past uh, from other people and from Sarah as well that he used to like, go out with her, date her, and mm. they got on. Well, um, they're, they're he, still dating at the beginning of the film, but he can't. But Sarah kicks him out because he's being such a asshole to her, and she. I mean, he he, he hits her as well. But... You know. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. He hits her, and she still continues to yeah uh, stay with him, which just gives you an idea of what the relationship was like before and her understanding of how fucked he is. He's clearly right now and then. he's clearly deteriorated as a man. He hasn't always been like this. It's, yeah, uh, it's this this scenario, this situation has just gotten to him, which is completely understandable. The problem is you don't know. You didn't. As of the audience, we don't see what he was like before, so all we know is this asshole. You know, in a weird way, um, as opposed to the Francine situation. Yeah. I think it, it almost felt uh, reasonable to me. I, I could sympathise with him a lot better than I could with uh, Francine. Well, I think because in every interaction, it's clear he's in pain, mental, mental pain. There's a real yeah. sadness in his eyes in every. You know, no matter whether he's being like a dick to Sarah or just crying and getting on the bed after he's been sedated, it's just like he's such a pathetic wreck. He's such a mess. You can't not feel sorry for him and what he's going through. He's so clearly in so much mental anguish that you know it's it's like overwhelming. It's it's clear it's clear he's just been completely overwhelmed by it all. Yeah, that, that's, that's pretty much exactly it's, on point. It's brutal, and it's it's well performed as well. He 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 has uh, he has two modes: uh, sadness and uh, dickish. But and he looks, you know, you mentioned that the uh, set, the uh, the bunker, the uh, mine was very humid. Well, he looks like it whenever you look at him. He looks like he's, you know... He looks like he's dreaming and sweating through a nightmare. This all feels like a fucking nightmare, to be fair. The the whole thing of someone. Um, And then... It says a lot that the film, right at the end, Sarah's going for the helicopter, comes to this... Um, end point. She sees a lot of arms coming out, more guts falling out, and then it immediately cuts to the island. 
Oh, I'm this whole I for- this whole sequence is a nightmare. I forgot that ending. And oh yeah, the the idea that the whole film is a nightmare is a possibility. I personally don't think. Oh, I wouldn't that. say the film's a nightmare. I'd say it's just the implication that this whole thing is. Well, yeah, the, awful. Yeah. Well, the situation is nightmarish, and yeah. she has nightmares about the nightmare, as it were. But yeah, that last bit we're cutting the we're cutting forward again, but. That got me the uh, the last. Time. I forgot about that last bit where the hands grab at her in the helicopter. Forgotten about that. But yeah, that's the that's the last moment with any zombies in it is the hands again, and it's kind of I like that because, like we say, I said earlier, like George Romero saying what happens to them after the film ends. Well, they get hit. The zombies are coming. It's a it's an it's a threat that will always be in the back of your mind. You can never truly enjoy the apocalypse because it's always coming after you. And that, and the last thing where she's on the island and she's still having nightmares because, of course, she is. And it's still the hands reaching for her, coming for her. Yeah. They're always coming. Regardless they're of coming. Where the zombies... They're coming to get you, Sarah. <laughs> Regardless whether the zombies kill her. Or she just dies in terror. Yeah, they've uh, they've ended her eventually. I love I love how uh, this film really draws attention to the like the motif that's been in all three films of the arms reaching for the. It really brings it into uh, full circle. Yeah, kind of yeah. And I love how the film begins and ends with a nightmare that ends with the hands reaching for Sarah first time. Yeah. yeah uh, jumping in physically, uh, falling back. So we get the two. So Bizarre. I'm going to keep calling Bizarre and Moron versions of like John Gum and John Belushi because that's how I wrote them in my notes entirely. <laughs> um, they show a uh, pretty fucked up situation for the military, which I think is what gauged me some sympathy when I was watching it. That these guys who clearly have no understanding of what the actual purpose of what they're doing is, and some of them are dying doing it. Yeah. Yeah, that... Like when Captain Rhodes says, you've lost one man, we've lost five. Like, we've lost... You know, really drawing attention that actually the military guys have, like, been dying this whole time because they're the ones that have to put their necks out. They're the ones protecting the, the civilian scientists. Uh, I like, yeah, they don't understand the equations. They don't know what's coming about from this. Yeah. And even when they show the domestication, um, you don't get the feeling that it's it's too far gone, almost. You get the feeling that he doesn't see the purpose. And I almost sympathise with that. Because it's, okay, I... you domesticated it. What's the point? Uh, I actually uh, Almost, I said. I, yeah. I, I disagree quite a lot actually because I when I when we get to the meeting scene in our um, like going through scene by scene, I want to go into uh, all of the different perspectives presented in that meeting because that meeting oh, is uh, the most important uh, yeah. scene in the film for me. Um, Fascinating between two. I mean, this bit, the build-up, obviously important to going into that, where we see how important and how difficult it is to get these zombies in. Um, where people nearly die, and later they do die. You get yes. two deaths just off on hand. Yeah, yeah. Or three, really, actually. 
um, because obviously Miguel gets bit as well. Yes, yeah. But uh, yeah, Miguel basically, um, Sarah's like, don't do anything, please, Miguel. And Miguel insists upon it because uh, he's uh, a bit, well, stubborn. Um, and he's not thinking clearly, given how stressed he is. Re you know, it is understandable again. And um, Miguel, you know, basically insists upon holding this uh, pole uh, and that he's okay and that he can do it. And then he is just, he, let, he can't hold on to the zombie. Yeah, I, later on, I, I think the pole breaks. We're rightly like strapped. Later on, uh, the collar um, just snaps when he's holding it. And it's yeah. not his fault that time. But this time, he drops it the pole. It is his fault, 100%, yeah. Yeah, um, because he's too tired. And Sarah managed to grab hold of it. Yes. And then the, the other military guy, uh, Ricketts, takes hold of it from her. Yeah. I'm not sure... I'm not sure if that is a sexist thing or if that is just fucking let me grab it. Well, no, because so. um, before that scene happens, um, Steele's basically like, I don't want you up here. You're not strong enough. Presumably, you, and you can presume that that is because she's a woman and he thinks, oh, you're a woman, you're not strong enough to hold the zombies kind of thing. Uh, you, you can infer so, that, but it's not explicitly stated in that moment. Part of me, I mean, thinks like, in that period, okay, there's there's an element of sexism and we can do it. Um, in the moment, I can't see someone overlaying it with sexism. Well, or at least not explicitly. There is a lot of I th explicit I think misogyny from the same character later on. So Rickich genuinely thinks, I think, fuck, let me fucking have... Okay, yeah, it's sexism. <laughs> um, explicitly out, yeah, no, you're alright. It's just, he doesn't think she can do it. Yeah, air and yeah. air, and he, he fucking grabs it and goes, fuck off. Let me jump on this now. Mm -hmm. They're shoved against walls to just be chained up, and they aren't seen again uh, to be of any use, at least. Which I think is quite important that, again, these army guys, they chain them up. And after all that pushing, after all that work, it really comes to nothing. Well, yeah, um, you don't see the uh, the fruit of their labour, as it were. Um, I think in the same way they don't see the fruit of their labour either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't know what they're doing this for, really. And even when they're told, they don't understand it. Well, the, the foot soldiers don't, certainly. And they don't care for it, even if they do understand it. Yeah, which, or, which is the mistake on roads um, and, and scientists, and to some extent. Yeah, the civilians... Don't want. care to explain. It's clear, or it, or may I think also there's an element of they whenever they whenever they try to explain, they're dismissed by the soldiers. Like whenever they are talking in the meeting later, they the soldiers kind of like just shout and over them and like dismiss dismissively, and it's like they clearly haven't been listening when the scientists want them to. Yeah, I suppose we don't know what it was like under Major Roads. Um, for all Major, this, Major, Major Cooper. Major Cooper. Also, I love, I love that it's Major Cooper, which is Harry and Helen. Harry surname. Cooper. Yeah. I, I, I wonder if it's a brother. I wonder <laughs> if Major Cooper is Harry Cooper's brother. I wouldn't be surprised because I feel like Major Cooper's the type to keep it between him and the civilians and not let any of his subordinates know 
this is what's happening, this is what's going forward. Because clearly they're completely out of the dark. Yeah. They're out of the loop. They're in the dark. And that's why the tension builds immediately. Yes. Also, uh, quickly, uh, Miguel, after he fucks up, is uh, Steel, like, grabs him and, like, pushes him down towards, like, a zombie trying to, like, you know, threatening to kill him kind of thing because he fucked up and nearly killed Rickles. Got Rickles killed, rather. And uh, Sarah stops him. And Yeah, uh, I, it's to an extent a kind of barbaric version of what happened in Dawn of the Dead at the start, I think, where um, Peter points the gun. Yeah, now, yeah. A, a far more barbaric version, I should say. Yeah. It's well, way, then, way worse. In then he's tr- Peter is explicitly. I, I never get the inter- I never get the uh, impression that Peter in that moment might kill Stephen. No, he's he's kind it, of teaching he's, a lesson. He's teaching him a lesson. Whereas in this moment, I believe that uh, Steel might kill uh, Miguel because he's just like feverishly just like you fucking nearly killed Rickles you know he's like really mad and just like proper like spitting and you know grimace with teeth bare like just really angry and just as a, yeah well, that's, that's kind of mean about the whole um, progression of desperation through these films it just gets slightly worse in certain points yeah and Where it... this film is like night as opposed to like dawn, back to two sides, as it were, who can't stand one another. But more explicitly, I suppose. More explicitly. But now the you know, the goal of Night of the Living Dead is to survive the night. That's literally the only thing that they're trying to do, really. And then that becomes get out of there via you know, drive, getting a car or something. Whereas in this, and they just have disagreements on how to survive the night. In this, one side doesn't want to do what they, the other side wants to do at all. Like, is there a fucking goal at the end of this that everyone wants to? There, really there isn't. isn't. Well, no, that could, there's 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 a lot of different perspectives for what they want to do, and we'll get we. We'll get to that in the meeting when it's I mean, laid that, out pretty all definitively. It comes really how each person deals with hopelessness. Mm. Um, some people try to push against that, some people don't. But yeah, we'll get to the meeting when we push down. Uh, let me just quickly scroll down. Miguel's fucked up. Still nearly kills him. <laughs> he gets sedated yeah. after all that. After going through a load of shit. Yeah, Miguel is just fucked with the entire film. Completely yeah. and utterly. And if it weren't for the implied background, uh, irredeemably so. Yeah, in, so, in some it, ways. I mean, yeah. I think... If it weren't for Sarah's reaction, if it weren't for the civilians kind of talking about what happened in the past, he'd just be an arsehole. Yeah, his on-screen portrayal is um, just... He's gone. Like the man that Miguel once was is gone, and the only, the only Miguel we see is the one that we're just broken. Yeah, yeah he's he, he's never coming back, and he never does. Which is um, impressive for Romero to write. <laughs> you don't see that often. It's just 
gone character from start to finish. Yeah. And you still feel the loss somehow. Like normally you need to uh, know what they were before, but it kind of feels you kind of do still feel it because uh, again of the portrayal, the performance from the actor who plays Miguel. It's it's so devastating. And uh, contrast that we do get Captain Rhodes now. There we go. Who introduced as the bad guy. Uh, that's an article I'm happy to put in front of his fucking name. The bad the guy, Captain bad guy. Rhodes. He is... Um, he, I love how hateable this guy is. I love a good... I'm a, good, I'm a wrestling fan. And I love a good heel. Like, if a heel can make me hate them, they've done their job. And Captain Rhodes does his job really well. Oh, he's a hateable cunt. Uh, he just seems he goes from like angry to a lot of times he's clearly just trying to push around uh, everyone else and just establish immediately as soon as possible that his way is you know the only way you know you if you know he he gets say in every case don't like it well get shot yeah, I mean, there's so much contributing. I, as with that, it's kind of Harry Cooper just pushed to a zenith yeah, um, yeah. on that, that he needs power. It's also, I think it's important that, as you say, with the army, they they are in the dark. They don't know what's going on. And there's almost that element there of hope that maybe they do get together. Maybe they do understand the other opinion, the other side. But you see with Rhodes, he is completely rejecting of every fucking possibility of that happening. Um, and it's important that there's that possibility there so he can fucking reject it. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. Same with Frankenstein, I suppose. Frankenstein just he's, he's hostile through it. <laughs> Which is just frustrating as shit. Yeah, Rhodes. He's so irredeemably awful. Yeah. Uh, oh, dear. He, he is because yeah. <laughs> even even though he's in charge of a troop where like people die, they're in a hopeless situation. But he's just so confrontational every step of the way, and you know is, and also just sits there and lets his um, uh, subordinates shout just horrific shit. Just. Sarah, basically threatening to rape her. Like oh, it's, not it's basically like explicitly, yeah. It's like, you know, maybe Sarah. You know, if we got Miguel, shouldn't be the only one to get, uh, you know, at sex. Like you Miguel know. should be in quarantine, and we can all have a go for a winter. Yeah, exactly. Like essentially, saying that they should have their way with her, and to what extent they would actually go down that path. Or if to them it's just banter. Regardless, it's absolutely disgusting and dehumanizes Sarah. Um, yeah, but Sarah, for what it's worth, seems to just not let that affect her. And it's also clear that this has been the way for a while. Sarah's have had has had to deal with this for a while. 
she is the only woman down here. And he's interested to say as well, you, you're not quite sure um, how much of this has been exacerbated by Major Cooper's death. Yeah, that, yeah. You don't know how awful it's been before, or if this is you know, complete shit now that Rhodes is in charge, which to extent it's definitely got worse. Mm. I yeah, think there's the they, understanding. But the, one of the other scientists, the least characterised one, Fisher, he he does just say that, you know, oh, I thought Major Cooper was an arsehole. He's even worse. Because it is established that Captain Rhodes is worse than what came before. Yes, yeah, so you don't know what extent. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Although you can't you imagine get... how anyone could be like... <laughs> Close, Close, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> I, what I think is, um, I, I think Major Cooper, from what I gather from the conversation, is Major Cooper would shoot steel down and would get steel to fall in line and all that, but would continue everything else. Um, every other line would be the exact same. I think Rose just doesn't stop his privates talking out because he's just done with everything. And he's an arsehole. <laughs> yeah. I do wonder, because Rhodes, the only thing he's really interested in is having power here in this small area. He doesn't have any motivation beyond this bunker. He doesn't say he, he doesn't have any plans whatsoever for anything outside it. And he never mentions outside it even. He is only concerned with having power and controlling everyone in this one situation because I think maybe the motivation of the character is in order to stay sane, he is concerning himself only with what's in here because that's all he ever concerned himself with. Yeah, I think Major Cooper's, the way he stayed sane, the way he stopped from being stressed, was sticking to military doctrine. Um, and staying very... Major, Major Cooper like, or Captain Rhodes? Sorry, Major Cooper. I keep uh, if, mixing the two up. Major Cooper, staying dogmatic, right. staying to military doctrine, whereas Captain Rhodes, yeah. um, and to the letter with Major Cooper, Captain Rhodes is very much power in this area. I don't care what happens to you. Mm-hmm. Um, the civilian population, I keep my men and myself in check. Yeah, he clearly that. doesn't give a shit about the civilians at all. And doesn't care for what they're doing. With but he's he's swayed a little bit by one thing in the meeting later. But uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, which does fall very in line with character. It does. It does. So, I mean, uh, before yeah, we get to the actual meeting, which is the fucking best scene in the film. We meet Logan. Uh, into, we meet Frankenstein. Yay. Um, fucking mental. Absolutely gone. And yeah, he's 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 a fantastic character. It's so removed from all the problems of the bunker and everyone around. Yeah, him. it's like this. You leave that horrifying, you know, shouty that the, the very shouty, very masculine, uh, or rather, uh, you know, toxic, you know, masculine, not. Typical masculinity, because you can have nice men. <laughs> no, yeah, toxic masculinity. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah. When it comes definitely. down. Um, and he, he is so far removed from everything. Yeah, from he's 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 he's, he's kind of like pleasant and, you know, he's he's clearly lost it, but he's 
you know, he's pleasant. He's kind of uh, sweet. He's mild mannered, and you know, just where the innocence of Bob manages yeah, to come yeah, yeah. to fruition. He does, um, and it's it's why it allows him as well to be kind of chatting back. <laughs> yes. Later. Mm-hmm. <sighs> he's, uh, oh, yeah, I love him. He's a character that you could very because he does the character of Logan. Uh, we'll, we'll call him Frankenstein because that's the more memorable name. Um, but uh, yeah, he he does really bad things, but I don't hate him. Like he is just really he's trying really really hard to uh, do the impossible which is get a way out of this mess like somehow in the face of unending horror come up with a solution and the solution he's come up with is to domesticate the zombie and yeah. he does bad things to uh, try and achieve this and you can see it from his perspective entirely but you know it's wrong I, it's really strange that it, it kind of brought the uh, comparison to the eyepatch Dutch Strangelove scientist mm. and Dawn it's a really similar character but somehow Frankenstein is just sympathetic for the entirety of it I, I feel like he doesn't displace his morals at any point. No, but um, like like the the eye patch doctor from Dawn, who who suggests you know bombing every city, you know, Frankenstein uses the cadavers of the the, the bodies of uh, the recently deceased without the permission of the of the, of the soldiers, um, and in fact. Um, keeps one alive. I think it's hinted at least because I think it, there's a recording of like the soldier speaking. It's Major right? fucking Cooper. It is Major Cooper. Yeah, he actually kills Cooper himself. It's revealed. Um, because Cooper's still alive when he's um, yeah, in on the recording. He's messing his head, messing with his brain. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fucking brain. But somehow. I think I I think the morals are the same almost between him and uh, Strange Love, mm-hmm. but there's you see the just the heartfelt innocence on Frankenstein, and there's you... not any of the just depressing tone. Yeah, and there's also um, less um, philosophical stroking uh, with uh, Frankenstein than there is with the Eye Patch Doctor. Who starts that speech with talking about the distinction of zombies not being cannibals because they they do not eat each other; they only eat us, uh, and, and you know pontificating on the differences. Um, whereas Frankenstein isn't is isn't doesn't want to distance humans from zombies. He wants to like make the gap. The differences between the two. He sees zombies as humans. He sees, you know, they're like us. They're us. And he's trying to domesticate them. So that he wants to control them, but he does it because he ultimately sees not necessarily value in them, 
but he doesn't see them as different from other humans as other humans do. Which is... It's hopeful as well. Yeah, he's got a bit more of a hopeful uh, outlook. It's creation rather than nuke an entire populace. Yes. The problem is uh, the same... um, The reason it's still similar is because he is willing to kill actual people. (laughs) That's that's where it almost... Or at least abuse their... Or at least abuse their... um, their bodies, uh, bodies uh, yeah. as they're dying. Presumably, Major Cooper was dying because I don't think Frankenstein actually kills Cooper. You know, and Cooper was fine. No, I I think he did take the body uh, opportunistically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't ever get the feeling he wants to kill anyone. He wants to do the best, and that's again why he's a sympathetic character. That's why you actually kind of root for him in a weird way. Mm. He's, he's never malicious. Ever, um, I mean, incredibly innocent, actually, I, almost like Bub in a way. Yeah, yeah, Bub is a reflection of him, definitely, and you know, Bub uh, responds to that the way that Frankenstein treats him. That's why, uh, you know, uh, Bub kind of like it's half anger and half uh, sadness when he like um, wails after seeing the, the dead body of Frankenstein later. Uh, yeah, he, he wails in like anguish and anger at the sight yeah, of it. it. It's fucking and, sad. I mean, you get, and I'm skipping ahead again, but you get scenes where Bob doesn't attack Frankenstein. You get no, no points where he can take the earphones off, which again works so well into the dichotomy of kind of this pragmatism mm. from the army against the hopefulness of the scientists, the citizens, where. Genuinely, I'm kind of sitting there with the army side going, okay, great, you've domesticated one of them. But that's just one of them, and this might what be just an exception. Fuck does that? Yeah, what does that do to us? Yeah. You, 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 are you going to be able to replicate it with, like, millions? And how it, quickly I, would it take? You know, like... Yeah, that's why Rhodes is such an effective character, because you fucking understand him. Yeah, yeah, it's like... Despite everything. Really, when you really think about it, Frankenstein's like what he's doing is really fan- fantastical. The idea that oh, there's one that I have like started to domesticate, but he no, but he's also feeding it human flesh. So it's like, well, if you have to reward them with human flesh anyway <laughs> in order to domesticate them, how far could that possibly go? Frankenstein is not thinking clearly at all, but he's just so determined to like in this this one thing, you know, because it's like the only thing keeping him going is the hope yeah. that it's it'll work. Before we get to the meeting, we saw, I do want to mention Sarah as a mediator, but I don't want to do that for the meeting itself, um, which I yes. think is an important part of our character. Uh, just go quickly through the effects during the. Frankenstein section, which are spectacular, best part of the film in terms oh, of effects. Oh God, yes, the, the 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 zombies on the 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 gurneys, the, the gurneys, yeah. Oh my God, the one with the open stomach, and you can that falls out. Yeah, and then fucking hell. Oh, absolutely fantastic. 
and then it's repeat and then the effect is kind of repeated later when uh, in in a dream of Sarah's with Miguel dead and like waking up and turning to the side in the same like the, the the guts spill out of the same kind of of a similar kind of hole, uh, hole in the stomach the rib where the rib cage is visible so it's just great yeah there's yeah. nothing to be said about it i think beyond that's just fucking spectacular it looks amazing it looks just fucking amazing <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I've, and and yeah, basically it, it arises and wakes and then its guts spill out and then Frankenstein just cuts his losses and I think he drills a hole in the head. Uh, one of them gets their like arms uh, that push off the strap. Oh yeah, and yeah. Get yeah. out and then he drills that. But that's all that needs to be said. To be honest, it's just fucking amazing <laughs> the effects on this stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. I I can't justify it on audio. You've got to watch it to get no, any idea. No, there's no way to with words describe the viscera involved in this in these um, in this scene. Uh, well, with any of the uh, gore, really, it's very difficult to adequately explain with words. It's like trying to dance to explain music. Yeah, fucking that is a great. I, I always love that phrase. I was going to say just the picture packs, fast words, but. Dance, yeah. I think I think the term was um, dance to dance for architecture. Dance about architecture. That's it. Yeah, I can't remember who said that. No, I, I don't know who said it. I just uh, I think it was like it was a review of a of a pop song by someone called Todd in the Shadows. And he said talking about music is kind of like dancing about architecture, uh, referring Shit, to the that quote. Was... That was Todd. <laughs> yeah, that was Todd. Well, no, he was fair quoting enough. something else. I've probably heard it from him as well, to be fair. Fucking classic pop song reviews. Hi. Oh, I knew. I know more about 80s shitty synth music in Britain from that American idiot than anyone else. <laughs> um, yeah, best scene in the thing that I can describe in words in... Uh, Luckily, Stephanie can as well, at least as much as we can elucidate from our own perspective. Uh, the meeting. The meeting. This fucking scene. Okay. Um, so, uh, it starts off. Okay, so th- there's a lo- there's so much to this scene. So it starts off. So he basically says, be here 7pm sharpish, Captain Rhodes. And so they're there. Frankenstein hasn't arrived yet. And uh, Captain Rhodes is active at this. And, um, yeah, they're basically, initially, they're just kind of talking. But I think it's important to say that um, until Sarah gets up and actually challenges Rhodes' authority, he doesn't get involved. He's Mm. clearly been sitting there dealing with shit. Um, Like this scientist, before we actually get into the scene... This guy's been giving him equations, been giving him stuff that he complains about later. It's until he's given something concrete he can deal with and attack mm. that he actually jumps in. Until then, like, Steel is just being a fucking hyena. Yeah. And uh, shouting off from the side. Yeah, McDermott is clearly just... Yeah, yeah, McDermott is drinking alcohol and they're... Some of the military types are having a go at him for, you know, taking so much of the alcohol stock. 
Um, says something about having World War Two era communications uh, arrays oh, that yeah. can't do shit. They're having a... the mainland had the power turned off. Yeah, the military types are having a go at him for not somehow fixing the World War Two era radio to be more effective than it ever could be. I think it's interesting as well that Rose doesn't get involved in that. No, because I think even he knows that. Yeah, no shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he is clearly reasonably intelligent. It's just, and and the other soldiers aren't. <laughs> Rhodes is clearly the smartest of the military uh, folk left alive, uh, but he just doesn't care to, as you say, uh, intervene because he, he'll just let his uh, soldiers berate the civilians. He doesn't give a shit if they do. I just, yeah, completely beside from all that stuff. I just really appreciate um, McDermott. Very subtly has kind of alcohol shakes. Mm. He's going through. I just, I quite like that little addition. It shows some uh, attention to detail. Yeah. And it, it kind of culminates into that whole theme of everyone dealing with stress in a different way. And McDermott is just a fucking alcoholic. Yeah, yeah. That's the sense on him. But yeah, uh, Rhodes doesn't do shit until Sarah gets up and he finally finds something. This is something I can actually handle. This is something I can actually push against where we get to the point where he takes power and shoots her down um, very nearly literally. Yeah, he he is um, very much asserting his dominance, asserting his power in as, you know, uh, blunt a way as possible by just saying to, by just telling um Uh, Steel. Steel, that's it. I'm so sorry. I forget names sometimes. But just by telling Steel to shoot Sarah if she doesn't sit back down. Um, it goes beyond that. Like He tells Steel to shoot her. Steel goes kind of bang in a little childish way. Yeah, and then yeah, yeah. he points a fucking gun at Steel and yeah. says, do it or I'll kill you. Yeah. Shoot her in within five seconds or I'll shoot you. And... Um, he gets to five, and then no, it's kind of sheepishly at first, but ultimately is planning to comply, and then I think uh, John uh, does John stand up? Yeah, John's the one who stands up. Yeah, and yeah. he's the one who stands up later as well. At least has a gun pointed. Yes. But then eventually Sarah sits back down. And this... John tells her to as well. Yeah, John just like... tells her, sit down! Sorry, I'm nearly impersonating him again. He just tells <laughs> her to uh, just shut up and sit down. Um, I get the feeling like of the of the three of the civilians, or the four of the civilians, I should say, actually five, what I'm saying, with the yeah, uh, yeah. Frankenstein as well. Them two, McDermott and John, actually have somewhat of a handle on what's going on mm. throughout this. I think Sarah is... It's said, actually, outright that she's slightly deluded that the situation's still in hand somewhat. Yeah, I think she's tr- ignoring the fact that Rhodes is a psychopath. <laughs> and you, I mean, you see with the tropical island later that John and McDermott have just given up. Yeah. And they're just, fuck it. We're finding our island. We're sitting down. This is fucked. Yeah, it's, it's done. It's... Obviously, Frankenstein's pushed himself into his work, so he doesn't give a shit. The scientist is completely deluded, 
yeah. and dies for it. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're the only two who actually have a handle on what's going on. Um, that Rhodes is just, yeah, as you said, a psychopath. So, it's Frankenstein. Then Frankenstein uh, joins the meeting as if he's above it all. You know, he just, he's. <laughs> He feels like he's in complete control of the situation. And weirdly enough, he actually is. Rhodes actually does not fall in line, but he does listen to him. Because Frankenstein, for whatever reason, I think Rhodes, being a military man, he responds well to, like, asserting, like, dominance kind of thing. And I think he kind of respects that with Frankenstein. But I... but. Uh, no, actually, sorry, I'm misremembering the fucking sequence because he shouts at him a lot. He shouts at him a fucking lot. You know, I think you're actually no on something a hundred percent. It's that military side. He shouts at him a lot until um, Frankenstein sits there and starts debating strategy with him. Yeah, because Rhodes goes on this. We're gonna fuck off and leave you here. Where would you and go? This, that. Where? And then he says, "What is your strategy? Where would you go?" Are you going to kill the other thousand that are standing outside? And that's when Rhodes kind of quiets. Mm. Um, because A, he's, he's, he is intelligent. He has actually got a grasp on the situation, Rhodes. He's not an idiot. Yeah. And he knows that, yeah, no, you ain't getting out. Um, and that I think part of him does, yeah, I think I think you are right in that, that army side of him, that kind of salute and stand down side of him falls back and um, takes that uh, to note. Like, the Major has collapsed back, but he still wants that kind of authority figure, and he does genuinely fall in line mm. when someone comes up and kind of paints themselves in that stance. Obviously, that changes when Frankenstein does something abhorrent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it, there is still... He still wants to be in charge himself but i think he, he he responds well to that kind of mentality as military mili- soldiers are you know, trained to respond to kind of authoritative voices but it's fascinating the dichotomy there yeah because what I, I was going to get to uh once we got to this meeting is that i believe in a very weird way that Rhodes and Frankenstein are quite similar in what they want. So there are a number of different perspectives of what, because what are they doing here? This is basically the scene where they explicitly uh, say uh, the domestication, you know, tell the others that that Frankenstein wants to domesticate the zombies. That's his idea. Sarah wishes to undo all of this somehow. Just, I suppose in a way, magically undo it all. It's kind of... Um, Frankenstein kind of back... Not it does, He's not cruel, but he does kind of poo-poo her ideas in a way. He, say, he calls her ideas more esoteric than his. I think is the word he uses to describe what Sarah wants to do. I think that's his, that is his way of poo-pooing on them. Because he's still in this kind of scientist mindset. He's not in the situation. 
And that is, that's what I said before, that's what I'll say now. Your ideas are shit. Yeah. Frank, yeah, Frankenstein basically said, oh, Sarah's ideas are more esoteric than mine. She wants to undo the, uh, you know, the zombification, as that, it were. That voice is so perfect, by the way, mate. It's, it's <laughs> so on peak. Um. But he, he, it's a, he, uh, she wants to undo what has been done. He wants to control the zombies. And I think, because, like, um, when he says he wants to control them, the rest of the soldiers kind of, like, start shouting and, you know, mocking it. And then Rhodes tells them to shut up at that point. And then he, he asks Frankenstein to clarify himself. And... Uh, Frankenstein goes into a bit more detail how he wants to domesticate and control the zombies and I think this gets through to Rhodes in particular because he is he wants to control the situation, that's his priority he wants power and power is controlling other people he wants to control the civilians his men as well he wants to control and so does Frankenstein Frankenstein wants to control the zombies, and I think that appeals to Rhodes' want to, you know, his power lust. He wants to... It, it appeals to a want for control. They both want to control the situation. They want to be the centre of um, control. And I think that's what gets to do to Rhodes in that scene. At least that's how I read it. Um, no, yeah, I, I suppose it's until he's, he realises he's been dethroned that he actually takes down Frankenstein. Hmm. Um, where he sees his own men being killed. And yeah. there's that um, misplacement of power between the two. Yes. Where he sees that Frankenstein has actually kind of, you know, usurped him somewhat, disrespected him on that side. No, no, yeah, ab- absolutely, 100%. And um, I get that. What uh, I think, because those two perspectives um, are kind of similar in my opinion, and why they are tentatively on the same side for a little while. But that is contrasted not only with Sarah's, which is unfortunately kind of glossed over, not just by Frankenstein, but by the film. It's, it's, it is a fantasy that this can be undone. It is ultimately glossed over because it's just not doable. It's not even worth thinking about almost. The film doesn't I'm not consider sure Sarah's perspective it's... much at all. I'm not sure I'd agree it's glossed over, though. I think it's shot down yeah, yeah. three or four times. Throughout. I think when you get, um, as you were talking about earlier, with his perspective, the uh, Jamaican John's perspective on how the epidemic came about, mm. where he says that it's just God's way of smiting us down, and if we stay in here, it's just going to be a tomb with an epitaph no one will read. I think that was shooting down Sarah's stuff as well. Yeah, but that's actually a good point because I thought of that as shooting down Frankenstein's um, thinking. I think everything, to be fair. Yeah, because John essentially is of the mind that God is in control and that it's not human's place to control this situation or to even understand it fully. That's John's um, opinion. Um, So... Frankenstein wants to control the zombies. John thinks God is in control of the zombies. Um, and Sarah just wants to undo all of it. 
um, in a very funny way by the end of it very similar to Night of the Living Dead the person who has um, what seems to be a very insular view at the start in that they don't care what's happening they just want to sit and wait for it all to blow over and they're <laughs> right by the end yeah just because of humanity really but by this of... this point in the trilogy the person who has that message is the nicest seeming character because John is a very pleasant character and um, even even when he is you know supposedly being his most selfish in the first half of the film he's still a pleasant and enjoyable he, he still seems nice and enjoyable to be around charming um and then, yeah, no, and then, absolutely. And then, as is his companion. Group, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot yeah. of it. Yeah. McDermott is... Uh, I don't know, McDermott is a um, humorous. He has, he has a wit to him. Um, his rhetor- his um, comeback to the uh, soldiers, he's talking about... Um, they're, talking, they're mocking him for him drinking a lot of alcohol and not being able to get the radio working to their standards. His um, pushbacks against it are quite witty. But uh... I think it says a lot as well. I think that uh, ultimately, as I said earlier, you know, John and McDermott are right in kind of figuring out the disposition of everyone. Yeah, uh, they've got a handle on the situation from the beginning. Well, they th- they're not they know how it's going. Yeah, they basically see it as hopeless. Like trying to fix this is. A folly is folly, and they are ultimately correct as far as the film frames. I, I suppose, yeah, no, you're right. In actually, end. in terms of how it's framed, whether they were going to be right anyway, um, through how I think it's really that they're the only ones that are really going to immediately just speak back and hold guns at everyone, because and they're the ones who say, you know, we're indisposable. Yeah, we're unexpendable. Um, obviously. One of them's proven wrong through mm. some of that, and uh, nearly sent off for a sacrifice. Mm. <laughs> no, it's it's a the nihilism. Ultimately, they are nihilistic. Yeah, um, John certainly that that's considered the right perspective in hindsight. Fucking sad. Uh, given certainly, I mean, all the philosophical debates in the, the meeting room between the idea of domestication, between the idea of eradication and uh, cure, and this hope, and just no, fuck it, quash it, just nihilism because yeah. humanity isn't good enough for that. Ultimately, I mean, that's what it is. This whole film, this whole franchise, really says is that look, you can build them all, you can build this sanctuary in a house in the middle of the country you can build this underground bunker with hope of domestication with hope of eradication with hope of curing whatever but ultimately people are going to fuck it up yeah whether they're within your uh, the ha- wherever they're coming from within the house coming from outside the mall or inside the bunker uh, someone uh, a human is going to fuck it up. Is uh, the overarching theme? I mean, do I do I agree with George Romero? Um, um, probably. I, I 
I had to sit on it. Oh, it's difficult because humans are capable of being. We are capable of coexisting, but some of us really don't want to. It's like. And you can't coexist with people who don't want to coexist with you. Yeah. No matter how hard you try, even if you do try, there's a, there is an argument that there is. I would argue that sometimes there is no merit to trying to coexist with people who are so adamantly against coexisting with you. It's certainly if you take John's perspective, um, a complete nihilist, where you might as well just sit on a island and then yeah fall as dust in the wind as you leave no epitaph and everything just goes to nothing yeah uh, regardless i suppose he, he kind of purported a legacy through um poss- possibly sarah which clearly didn't happen anyway <laughs> that's that's i mean one person has drank so much that their dick is 90 percent alcohol and can't procreate ever again <laughs> and sarah clearly isn't there anyway <laughs> no and he's, he's content with that. I mean, Sarah says herself, like, you'd be content going off to an island Yeah. Um, in this situation. He said, I'd be content if we weren't in this situation, which I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just happy just subsisting, um, which, I mean, to Sarah is anathema, obviously, for a lot of this, and to me is anathema, frankly. I mean, I'm a masochist. I do this podcast to give me some relevance in the world. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is my little cultural um, cornerstone. I mean, that I stamp as I am here. I exist. I mean, for me personally, I the the main thing I want from my life is to enjoy it. So I kind of understand John more than pretty much anyone else in this trilogy. It, it's like, yeah, how would because it, it basically one. Uh, you know, it's kind of like, oh, death is inevitable. Zombies is essentially like death coming for you. And it's like, what do we do with our lives now while death is coming for us all in a way, but just not through zombie apocalypse? And, well, I just try and be happy, is all I do. So. Yeah, that's. And the film doesn't report that as a bad philosophy. No, I don't. It's, it's the, the final one that stands. Not that that's. Uh, I don't think that's the film saying that's the one that you should pick. No, it's it's just not presented like not presented as false, definitely. Yeah, it, and it's not presented as harmful either. But it, it, um, I think it is just as much as everything else presented as folly within the the. It's like embrace oblivion. <laughs> you know, oblivion still comes. Which I mean, of course, in Dawn of the Dead was the, the kind of mole that was a trap. Yeah. Um, outside of that, pushed against. I, yeah. It's it's this whole scene, this whole meeting scene is just fascinating. Every character in it, even characters like John, who seems just completely apropos to any politics and whole bunker is incredible to just analyse. Um, it's, it's just a powder keg as well. 
it, it of tension. Like it's a, especially the first part where you know Rogue is letting you to kill Sarah. Like, mm. yeah, it's it's a really I, tense I, scene, and uh, Rogue just, is just much, shouting himself uh, hoarse at everyone. <laughs> The actor doing an amazing job. Yeah, he's just the best actor in the whole trilogy. Yeah. So good. I, yeah, I think anyone who kind of just says he shouts all the way through just misses that respect he has for Frankenstein and that clear... Um, turning point. Clear turning point and purpose he has consistently all the way to his death. Yeah. Um, all the way to refusing to salute Bob, all the way to ready to shoot him. He, he has a constant need for power and being in control, um, more so than Harry Cooper ever did. Yeah. Because Harry Cooper accepts being second fiddle for a little while. All while plotting to get back that power and trying to take it back whenever he can, but ultimately he's trying to survive first and foremost, and surviving sometimes means uh, following someone else's orders. But uh, for, for Captain Rhodes, like it seems like nothing else matters except his power. I think that's like the end of hope, where you, you are on a one-track mind. Everyone in this bunker is on a one-track mind, all of them. Yeah. Um, and they won't be sprayed from that. It just happens to be that John and McDermott, they're compatible <laughs> to some extent with the rest because it's, it's, it's kind of open. But everyone has their idea, including Sarah, who, while she acts as a semi-mediator, being so hopeful and so kind of above uh, doing this whole curing everything, she she does add elements of hostility. Mm. I mean, she, she has, like, she wants to undo uh, uh, the entire... Uh, zombie apocalypse is what she wants to do. She wants to turn the zombies back into humans. What she wants is basically, yeah, yeah. Uh, and she's never shown us wrong. No, for taking that perspective, which very important as well. Uh, no, no one is wrong. I don't. Yeah, think. Frankenstein says that he doesn't say uh, it's not possible. He just says that it would probably take months, years to do, you know, to even, and might not get the answers she wants. Like, he doesn't say that he, his problem doesn't seem to be. He, he prioritizes saying that it would take longer than his idea. Uh, so uh, that's the, the incredible thing about this. No one, no one is fucking wrong here. Because um, there's no way of knowing what to do, because it's yeah. such an impossible situation. What to do? Well, there is no right answer, because there's no way of fixing this. Because, you know, unfortunately, if you take it from a meta perspective, the apocalypse can't be undone, because that it's it's the end. It's not. It it's not a film. An it's not a film about how the apocalypse is undone. It's a film about the end of humanity. It's a trilogy about the end of humanity. It's the apocalypse. It's. 
I, it's why it ends on an island disconnected from everything. Yeah, it's the the, the films are asked that this film in particular is asking how do you deal with the end, the end, and there is no way right way of dealing with the end. Incidentally, uh, and I hate to bring this in, it's why I hate. I've grown to hate the Dawn of the Dead remake uh, ending mm. um, because I think for me personally going to an island and deciding this is it is far fucking sadder than immediately dying mm. um, or at least accepting of just oblivion basically well, nebulous well, what, what do you, yeah I mean what do you imagine happened like there's three of them I'm glad it's left open, for one, um, and I think they just slowly die. Yeah, like, what's the? I mean, it's not even necessarily the best case scenario, but what could happen? Like, what they die of old age, like. It's like a glass half full, glass half empty kind of situation where either they they die of old age or they live until they hit that point. It depends on how optimistically you view the situation from the offset. Yeah. When do they have that moment, like in Dawn of the Dead, where the three of them are sat around the dinner table and the, the and, um, Francine goes, look at us, what have we done to ourselves? Do the three on the island have the same moment? Because they're in the same... It's, it's, what is that line she says in Dawn of the Dead? It's so bright and neatly wrapped that you forget it's a prison too. The island is just another mall. That's why I, I genuinely I stand by my statement in saying that this is the saddest <laughs> yeah. um, of the three. I, I do genuinely think it gets worse as it goes along, less hopeful. Uh, and I think sometimes dying is better than seeing what comes after and knowing that there's nothing. Uh, I mean, I have no mouth and I'm a screen. <laughs> that is the ultimate in there is nothing. Yeah. Am I dead? No. Is there anything coming? No. <laughs> that's, that's the absolute zenith of that. Um, I, fuck me. I'm sad as shit, but we'll get to the point that, that actually happens and go through some of the really fun film stuff uh, to try to perk me up a touch. Yes, because there's great things that happened in this film yeah there's there's some really i i'm not a fan of bub um at i all, love bub actually i think the problem i've watched a film called uh chud 2 bud the chud before this okay have you seen the first chud no i have not okay the first chud is like a home alone reunion there's like four actors from home alone in it okay um with daniel stern the dad from that as well the mom uh it's it's great, the first child. The second child is awful, and it's basically genuinely the fucking plot from Dawn of the Dead, uh, Day of the Dead, sorry, with Bub in the middle of a, a completely open community where the apocalypse hasn't happened. That is basically the plot of Chud 2, Bud the Chud. It's fucking terrible. Um. <laughs> so, yeah, with me, like the first zombie films I ever watched, were these three films and in succession in like night then dawn then day when i was younger so for me i didn't have any stuff that came after these films 
to muddy the my experience of these films. To me, it was a new thing for a zombie film to happen for these films. Like the idea that not it, like with Dawn, it's an it's an expansion on the idea in Dawn where they remember, you know, what what they were before, and that's why they came come to the mall, um, and can somehow climb ladders. At the and end can of dawn, kind of scratch on the wall, <laughs> yeah, and all that stuff, yeah, and knew, knew where the gap in the wall was, you know, when Stephen dies and stuff. Um, and so in day, it's like not only it, it's like how far, how much can a zombie remember? Like, and, and how close to humans can a zombie get? Because we never learn, to be fair. No, but it hints that there is potentially a lot less different than it first seemed. Or at least there's hope for zombies to become... Like, it's kind of like a, a little bit of hope for Sarah's want as well, but it's like, you know, that you can turn them back or something. Though I don't think that it can because it is a dead body. Um, that's been activated by something with only I think, yeah, the, the point that the characters are most impressed is the point where you kind of see how far it can go where Bob doesn't bite uh, yeah. Frankenstein yeah it's like I mean, Bob clearly uh, likes Frankenstein in some way you know like but you know you could argue that it's in the same way a dog does that a dog likes a human you know, where you feed it, and it's like, yay, pack leader, or uh, something along those lines, although it is obviously human-coded, so we see it as more a human-like. Um, and the whale, upon realising that Frankenstein is dead, really kind of drills into it, that, yeah, maybe this zombie actually has emotions? I think that's partially why I like Frankenstein as well, compared to um, the eye patch fella that Frankenstein you see him putting his like neck right next to Bob. Yeah. In the point where he could do it. Yeah. Um, but Frankenstein has so much faith in everything, so much innocence, really. Mm. That. Yeah, the the guy I with think... the eye patch wants to eradicate, just annihilate the zombies, and look down on them as like, you know, the, the monsters that, well, they clearly are really, but Frankenstein. Has hope for zombies uh, being able to co- coexist with humans. Weirdly enough, the difficulties and that humans have coexisting with each other in these films, and Frankenstein's like, oh, maybe one day we'll be able to coexist with the zombies. Like, he is wrong, really. <laughs> Let's be Weirdly real. enough, yeah, he kind of, in his own single mindedness, doesn't realise that the problem isn't going to be zombies coexisting with humans, but humans coexisting with zombies. Yeah. Or humans coexisting with other humans. Um, yeah, that as well. Like, even if you could, <laughs> even if you could, would. Yeah, would, would you? Would you? It's, it's. No. Yeah. No. Of course not. I think that that is really the underlying of all of Romero's films. Um, even if it could happen, would it? No. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> Uh, fucking sad. Uh, I 
yeah, with all of this, uh, there's a lot of shit that actually goes down through this. Uh, first things, Rhodes comes in, and there's a fascinating fucking um, back and forth with him and Bob through this. Uh, beyond just, like, Fra- Frankenstein gives some tools and shit for Bob to mess around with. That's all great. But I think it's far more interesting where Rhodes kind of looks at this thing and tries to decide whether this is actually worth the, the work that's going in. Yeah. What are you doing I, with my time? He asks I, in the meeting. He's trying to figure out now. I almost get the feeling that he's almost bought over. And if if Frankenstein had have pitched it in a different way, mm. it, it would have been okay. If Frankenstein had have said, we're going to use him to shoot the zombies above. <laughs> hmm. I'm not sure, but it is. I, uh... I think he needed something. He needs filling control, and he needed the idea that this was actually progressing somewhere. Yeah, I think he also in a way that he could control. He clearly feels uncomfortable around Bob as well, especially when it like fucking salutes him. And has a gun in its hand, even without any bullets in, but aims it at Captain Rhodes because Captain Rhodes didn't salute him before. I, I love the it's 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 like a, like a it, it, it Bob feels uh, re, quite human, and that, I suppose that's the point. Obviously, but Bob feels. Like a person. I mean, it's named as well, which helps quantify it. I think that Bob. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, it's. It works as very nice, uh, as far as I see. It, kind of. Really unpersonifying it, but a prop to kind of show the progress that's shot down. Mm. It, it's progress that is so impressive. Um, with the name, with the personification, with how far it's gone, with how far it's progressed, but ultimately it's fucking useless practically. Yeah, there is I mean, no practical use to domesticating a single zombie, and there is no... I mean, how long did it take? Because ha- Frankenstein gets rid of so many zombies because there's no progress, no, they don't show uh, promise like Bob does. So Bob is singularly resp- receptive to the conditioning. It could just be him. It could just be him. And even if it isn't just him, it's clearly a minority of the zombies. So how useful is this? Yeah, and as you said earlier, it needs human flesh as a reward. And it needs human flesh as a reward. They only have, and and, the, and it's been established that they only eat the, bo- the flesh of the living. No, yeah, so, you're right. Uh, they show off the beef uh, earlier in, and it doesn't eat it. Yeah, specifically, it, it doesn't touch it. No, it only eats the flesh of humans that have, that are living. So either only very recently dead humans. You know, it has to be fresh flesh. They've only, even if, you know, even if in his mind, like, how much flesh does he think he can get through to to condition? The entire, like all of zombies. How many zombies could you condition? 
was that much meat. It's clear, like, any thought given to it whatsoever, Frankenstein is just doing this to prove he could do it at least once. It won't do anything else. Yeah, I mean, I think almost trying to prove to himself that something can be done. Yeah, but um, not actually enact it himself, because he can't. Which might kind of culminate in why Sarah gives up. Maybe. Eventually. Not give... No, yeah, gives up. That That is... She just loses faith. Eventually, even with the calendar kind of being crossed, I don't know if that was kind of an implication that she still kind of cares about taking notes. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, that is her making a record of her time here. It's 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 literally a record of her time on this planet. Yeah, on the in the, on in this island. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, Very. She I can't let go. This film is so well written. Yeah. She's so tight. Even yeah, she never lets go completely, uh, because you know, I mean that that's why she continues to have the nightmares, as well. In my opinion, like she just she doesn't actually let go. Of what came before? Because when we see them on the island after that nightmare uh, that she has, we don't know how long it's been since that happened. It might have been months. Yeah, actually, now you say it... I can't remember you... if they say... Because obviously she's booked in November. So I don't know how long... I can't remember if it's in summer or autumn. Okay, she's in October in the dream. Okay. So it's not too far off. Uh, and it's, I remember rightly, late November. At the end. Or it's like, no, it's early No, it's early actually November. not late. It's early November. No, it's not so actually it's been that long. Days gone on. Unless it's a dream... No, yeah, I think the implication then is... Yeah, the implication is that from that time where she woke up at the beginning and that time where she wakes up at the end, that's about time. A few days for everything to go to shit. That sounds about right, to be fair, in the roads. Yeah. It's a a Romero film. Yeah, talking about which... um, So Dawn, Dawn of the Dead is way longer then. Yeah. uh, How much time? That's like... Well, months. Months, yeah. Talking about going to shit. It, it really kind of kicks off when two, I'm going to say rando soldiers, <laughs> really named. Well, they're fucking. Yeah, they're they have names, but it, they don't matter. They're, they're red shirts. That's what they fucking are. Uh, and Miguel being bitten, more importantly. Yeah. And running away in just complete fear. I love how one of the soldiers, it basically. Uh, Miguel's holding the uh, pole again, but this time it's not him dropping it that causes it, uh, that causes uh, uh, mayhem. The collar just kind of opens up, so like a mistake of like ages and ages ago, or just the collar's deteriorating with time, is what leads to it. It's just chance, not actually Miguel's fault. And uh, the zombie gets at one of them, and he like while being bitten fires his machine gun, which shoots another guy another soldier and then Miguel gets bitten as well uh, yeah it's almost like the hopelessness that everything's just degrading you get this uh, same theme with the uh, scientists complaining they don't have the right equipment and you get shit from the communication at McDermott saying he doesn't have the stuff he needs everything's just falling apart so it's hopeless yeah there's nothing they can the... do about it yeah there's just degradation into death um I 
<laughs> Same with like Miguel, where they start chopping him up. Oh my god! Off. Yeah, so this is the first time in the series where amputation to try and prevent uh, zombification happens. Uh, he tries the right word because we don't know whether yeah, it works or not. Yeah, we don't know whether it would work because he ends up just going up and be giving the zombies some food in the end. Uh, I think Miguel, I mean, he's so fucking dumb all throughout this film. And then at the end shows the most ultimate in not giving a fuck what happens anymore. <laughs> Jesus I, Christ. I think it's something to say that he didn't just immediately fucking click the down button on the lift and run. Yeah. Uh, he let them eat him and continued letting them eat him until he pressed the down button. Yep. He waits a while before pressing the button. <laughs> but uh, he wants to make sure as many zombies are there before pressing the button. He really wants to fuck up the people downstairs. That's retribution. Yeah. Absolute. Um, oh, before I forget as well, um, I, I said earlier, like antagonists having some sympathy is always a good thing. Steel does shoot uh, the guy who gets bit, and he, he looks pretty distraught about it. And later he shoots yeah, himself. Yeah. He does, rather than uh, let the zombies get him. Yeah, that's. He has humanity to him. He's not like a freakish, uh, you know. Um, he's not. He's not Captain Rhodes. He clearly he shows, you know. He's a, he's a despicable character, and disgusting, but he does show humanity at several points. Yeah, you get this feeling that that there's a reason that under um, Major Cooper, everything was kept under wraps, and he's under the right leadership, a piece of shit like Steel could be kept in check. In check, yeah, in check's the right word. Um, to, yeah, really push him down. Yeah, he clearly needs a uh, uh, someone to keep, <laughs> keep him in check. Twice a fucking private at like the age of fifty. <laughs> I almost felt bad for him. Um, almost again, it's the fucking. It, it really does drive me to the the pinnacle of so closely sympathising with the, the villain's goals in this, which I suppose is a good a good sign of a proper mm. well-made uh, bad guy. A good villain is someone who you can understand their perspective and understand how they get there, but you still despise them. Uh, either for their perspective itself or uh, in spite of their perspective. I mean, in this case, for me, it's almost in spite of the perspective. <laughs> Yeah, because because their perspective doesn't. The problem the problem is they they don't believe in what the scientists are doing, but they don't have any alternative. They don't have uh, something to do instead. So the only reason it truly like just all kicks off is when they just give up. Like they don't give a shit anymore. They're just gonna fucking take these, you know, take out Frankenstein because he's been fucking with the, you know. Up and I'm gonna take Miguel out, or and 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 everyone else. Like fuck you all. We don't care anymore. Fuck this. It's like they don't actually say that any out loud, really. But they don't have anything. They just they don't have anything. 
yeah, they, they shoot Frankenstein because they see uh, Cooper, which almost seems like an excuse just to kick everything off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to go, oh, we've, we've said that, we can kill you and then we can leave. Because um, we can a- a- abandon all this work that's been pushed in, which, again, I almost think it's reasonable to do for them. Not obviously to shoot Frankenstein, not to do that, but to go, no, we're done. Yeah. We're dying. We're fucking done. And you're, you know, fucking with our soldiers' bodies. I mean, yeah, as soon as they see Frankenstein, it's like, right, that's, it's just immediate. Like, just grab, grab Frankenstein, shoot him, bang, you know. Well, bang, 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 bang. Um, I can almost understand it's very doing quick. that. It's very quick. Yeah. Once they find what Frankenstein's been doing, it's very quick. They don't hesitate. They just kill it. It comes to a point where, genuinely, I think, if they'd have killed him in reaction and then gone, right, we're all leaving now, um, I'd, have, I'd have understood that. Yeah, but they want to, instead, they want to fuck with all of them. Yeah, they want power. At yeah, that point, yeah. they want to show their domination, and they they tell John, "You're fucking flying us out," mm-hmm. and we're leaving these people behind. Yeah, they shoot. Uh, who'd you say it was the scientist? Uh, Fisher. Fisher, shoot him in the head. As a bit of a incentive. He's kind of like. Uh, it's it's clear that he's like a bit more closer to Sarah than. Pretty much anyone else, but he's he kind of keeps himself to himself. He doesn't. He's not that. Well, he's not that well uh, uniquely characterized. No. I mean, I mean, there's a reason we haven't mentioned him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, he doesn't really have anything to him other than maybe like a bit of exposition here and there to Sarah. Yeah, the reason I barely mentioned Ricketts, two soldiers I haven't mentioned at all, and him. <laughs> it's Rick Rickles. Rickles. There's a reason of there's a reason of mispronounced Ricketts, Rickles, whatever. Over <laughs> and over fucking again. Uh, and then yeah, they Sarah and McDermott end up getting shoved out in again just a show of power. Just yeah. a show of domination entirely. To say, look, you're gonna fucking take us. Yeah. And then I hundred percent imagine you're gonna shoot John at the end of that flight. Or possibly not actually. Well it depends. You know, it depends where, if they think that uh, maybe they would have forced them to teach one of them. I, I don't think it's even that. I think as long as Rhodes thinks that John is subjugated, mm. I don't think he'd care beyond that. Uh, he might shoot him, he might not. I don't think he'd care to give the order at that point. Because he's, he's got what he wants, and that's. I don't see him as a man who. I mean, he is petty, definitely, but he's petty in the pursuit of power and if he's got it if he's completely subjugated to someone i don't think he cares to shoot john after all that's not me defending him at all that's no. just making assumptions on what might happen um should this piece of shit get out which he fucking doesn't <laughs> thank god uh, there's some really great stuff in the mines as sarah mcdermott shoved in there's a shovel bit that I oh love. yes <laughs> yeah the fucking sh- oh it just looks and the really... eyes just going yeah. back and forth. I love it. <laughs> yeah, just the, the oh. top of the, just like the, basically the top half of the jaw upwards of the head, chopped off with the fu- with a fucking shovel, and then like shoved like like knocked off to the side. And then there's a shot where you see 
The disembodied head with the eyes still <laughs> moving around. Yeah. That's great. It's really cool. It's just got the still the top of the jaw as well with the teeth at the bottom of the uh, head. That's what, what, what of the the head that's been cut up. It's 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 fucking it's good. <laughs> so yeah, uh, they they studied it, and then uh, John um, like catches Rhodes unawares and um, gets his gun and knocks them out. Grabs two of his pistols and his machine gun. And I mean, yeah, we summarised a lot of what happens to those three uh, civilians. Mm-hmm. But just to quickly go over that, because we've gone over the philosophy of it, the more interesting practical stuff is with the army at this point. John runs off into the mines, charges off, kills some zombies. There is some real fun kind of shooting stuff and some great effects. Mm. And then they fuck off, basically. Yeah, that, they that's... climb up a ladder and they piss off. Yeah, that's pretty much the end of uh, their story. There's like, it's in this, in this, it goes from one perspective to the other. But for them, that's pretty much the end of uh, the story. And we've already discussed the very end of the film several times, uh, which we'll get back to again for one final time at the end, I suppose. But now for the really meaty stuff. (laughs) Oh, I've been looking forward to this. This is the best part of the film. So it's the best finale of the three. The, 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 so meet, the meeting, the meeting is the most important part where all the philosoph- philosophies, the meeting and the time down where they get drunk, where Sarah and John, and, uh, where they just enjoy them, well, enjoy each other's company and just hang. Those that those two scenes are where everything is laid out, what everyone believes, the perspectives, and how they come in, you know, how they oppose one another. Now we get to see the die. <laughs> Now we get to see them really die. Oh. And this is just like Tom Savini letting loose. This is... Oh. <laughs> this is satisfying. So, Miguel has uh, fucked with the lift. He's been... He'd been bitten, and then he had his arm cut off. And he's just fucked. He's done. And he's done with everything. He's so done, he goes out. He's, he, he, like... He uh, gets the lift up to the outside, breaking the lift basically so that it can only be worked on the outside. So uh, the soldiers try and get out, but they can't because the lift won't work. And Miguel goes up to the fence that's been holding the zombies back outside, opens the fucking gate, runs back to the lift. The zombies come to him, and he's got like the button for the lift to go back down. And he waits for the zombies to come over to him. And I think he's got a necklace with like a um, a Christian, like the rosaries or something like that. I think it might be rosaries. Or some, some uh, religious symbol in his mouth. And he's like whimpering to himself. I think that's just to chew down on. Yeah. The zombies, he bite. waits for the zombies to chew down on him. And it's pretty gruesome. They're ripping, you know, biting his chest off and his face and and he just waits a while and then presses the button presumably to make sure that the whole lift is just covered in zombies the soldiers downstairs can only just stand there and watch as their fate lowers down into view 
And I do love that. Rose fucks off. Yeah. Almost immediately. Immediately goes, runs. Shit. And Nick's. But the rest the of them wait. <laughs> the rest of them are just like, oh, fuck. Fuck me. Oh. It's just like, oh, God. And also, on the other end of the uh, thing, simultaneously, the zombies in the mine have gotten through the pen so not only are there now zombies coming down the lift zombies have uh, escaped the pen and now the soldiers start to run (laughs) oh yes you think it was satisfying when the bikers got killed in Dawn of the Dead oh these soldiers have been fucking misogynist just completely disgusting. <laughs> Don't need to fucking rape Sarah. Don't need to kill Sarah. Killing Fisher. Killing Frankenstein. Refusing to salute Bub. How dare you refuse to salute Bub. Now it's time for the film and me, the audience, to witness. To just. Satisfaction. Oh, the, it is so satisfying. The catharsis. Incidentally, the tonal shift I think is done really well. Um, when the lift comes down, you get this terrible feeling, and everyone runs off. And then one zombie face plants. Yes, I think that's just showing you. Yeah, you can start laughing now. <laughs> yeah, I, I personally, I start laughing as soon as the shot with the lift coming down, and it's a wide shot. You can see the entire lift from, <laughs> and you see all the zombies on it. It's just like, oh no. You're dead. There's like over a hundred just on the lift. And then hundreds come through the mines as well. Oh, it's beautiful. I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. And this is before any of them are caught. Yeah, I, to go just like one by fucking one. First thing, it's satisfying as shit to see Rhodes abandon his men. Yes. <laughs> Fuck off. Yeah. Uh, that's, yeah... Uh, uh, just a complete, um, <laughs> oh, what, what's the, uh, validation the fucking... of all the shitty things you've heard about roads before this. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like any it... decent idea you had that he might actually care for his men, Gone. he might have at least something. Yeah, yeah. He's just, he's just a fuckhead. Yeah, he doesn't give a shit. <laughs> when push comes to shove, he already cares about himself. He's a wanker and pissed off. <laughs> and he fucking nicks there's room for all four of them but because he gets away first he just nicks the cart for himself and drives off uh, and the other three have to run on foot and ooh, two of them pretty quickly get caught up with um... one of them it's beautiful it, he goes are you talking about fighting... the heads being... Yeah. Oh, oh the, the vocal cords. So he's screaming his fucking head off, and as his and then like the zombies are all clawing at him and pulling bits off, and one of the zombies just grabs his head by the eyes, like the fingers inside the eye socket, and just pulls on the head, and he continues screaming, and his as he's screaming and his vocal cords are being ripped, like by the neck, the neck, his the pitch wavers and then goes at the last moment really high pitched and then just silence as his head is fully ripped off and the jaw continues to like spasm like open and close after the head has been taken off 
beautiful. Um, the sound on absolutely that. amazing. It's the, it's it's perfect, isn't it? <laughs> you get the other one who's just surrounded. Um, oh. Rickles, who's just he shoots a couple, and then you see the ones behind him start grabbing him inwards as he continues shooting, and others charging in on his front. She's just overwhelmed. Is the only word for it. Yeah. And he he continues laughing um, until you hear that start to kind of twist into screams. Yeah, it's it's like manic laughter as he's being beaten, and then. A... And this is like after a film. I don't even mention like he laughs constantly like a fucking hyena. Yeah, 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 yeah. For the entirety of it, and to hear that laughter shift entirely, that uh, paradigm go from satisfaction to complete horror is wonderful. <laughs> uh, then we get to Rhodes and I steel. steel. Fucking hell! So- sorry, Steel. Uh, I keep forgetting your fucking name. Uh, won't be long before I won't need to remember it ever again. Uh, <laughs> the it's so Rhodes steel. gets to the like the the area where like the bunker area where the military. Uh, oh, yeah. And the scientists have been staying. And Rhodes locks the door behind him. And then Steel gets to the door, can't get in, so he shoots it open. Uh, and, and of course, he just leaves the door open as he runs in, and the zombies get into that area. Um, and we'll deal with Steel first. Steel. Oh, 100%, yeah, we're, we're ending on Rhodes. Oh, yeah, we are. Yeah, yeah. Rhodes is the end. So Steel uh, basically gets cornered uh, in a room, and I believe there are like some escaped zombies from inside, like Frankenstein's area in there as well, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. There's a few just kind of bawling about the two that clacked off the chain mm. that he ends up getting bit by eventually. Yes, and then rather than get ripped apart or like. Z- turned into a zombie, he shoots himself in the head, in the mouth. Uh, um, which is very satisfying for that character. Yeah. He always had a certain uh, again humanity that the others really didn't. Yeah, he's kind of like the leader of the um, soldiers underneath Rhodes. He's like the most personified, the, the most characterised um, of the other soldiers other than like Captain Rhodes. He... Yeah, he's the most characterful. Yeah, and it's there's something satisfying in watching him totally give up. Yeah, uh, but it's also boisterous nature. Yeah, yeah, but like he's also the one who had to shoot another soldier. What that was begging him to not let me become not let him become a zombie. So he's already prevented a soldier from becoming a zombie. So it fits that he's the one that. Does it to himself, you know. I get the feeling he's the only one who could. Well, he's the only one who has. He's the only yeah, you are right, actually. He's the only one who does. Yeah. By the end of it. Like um, Sarah can't bring herself to do it with um uh her boyfriend. Um fucking hell, I've forgotten his name now. Miguel. Miguel. You know, how have I forgotten Miguel? I don't know what's wrong with me. Because he's barely fucking in it. 
But That's why. I've known. I've I've said Miguel's name right each time, so I've just. Uh, to be fair, because it's quarter past twelve. Yeah, that is. <laughs> God's sake. Right, I've got the list of names in front of me now. Uh, and that's that's the tragedy of it, I suppose. Steele um, is the only one who could kind of be corralled. Yeah, Sarah couldn't feel. do it with Miguel. And I suppose there's no one else where they needed, needed to do it. Steele is a soldier yeah. at heart, I think is the, the real end of it. All the benefits and drawbacks that come with that personality. And he dies a soldier. Mm. Like, he dies by the gun. <laughs> yes. By the end of it. And that there's something very satisfying about that. After he dies, uh, the zombies around him uh, devour the recently... Uh, well, actually, all three of the bodies that we've just talked about are devoured and cut and eaten. And there's lovely shots of the uh, zombies being cannibal. Well, not cannibal. As was established in Dawn of the Dead by eyepatch scientists, <laughs> they're not cannibals. They don't eat amongst themselves. They uh, eat us only. They are a different species. Carnivorize, mm. I suppose. We must remember then, eye patch scientist's words. Now, Bob. Bob and Rose. Bob and Rose. Yes. I'm, I'm leaving this to you, mate. You're more than welcome to take it. Okay. Bob has uh, gotten out, so he's like been tampering with his uh, collar. Uh, like the... the uh, chain work. The, yeah, the chain work. So he's gotten out, and he finds Frankenstein, or Logan's, dead body. And uh, it takes it seems to take him a little while to, like, get it. But what, as soon as he gets it, there's, like, a shift from, uh, like, confusion to, like, pained, um, you know, both sadness and uh, anger. Very human. Very human. And then he sees uh, weapons on the floor. And you reckon that upon seeing this, he realises that it's the military type. But Oh, and it's also, uh, earlier on, it's mentioned that Bob uh, used to be a soldier, or probably was a soldier. And that's With why, saluting and that's everything. why yeah. he salutes uh, the first man in uniform he sees, which is Captain Rhodes in that scene earlier. Which... Explains why he can use a gun and shit. Yeah, and 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 uh, they give him a gun, and but they empty it with bullets, and he tries to use the gun on Captain Rhodes, and it doesn't work. But and even more strikingly, he realizes that the gun was empty when it doesn't fire properly. And then oh yeah, he throws, looks at the bottom. Yeah, and then throws the gun down after he realizes it's empty. Like very very human shit. Um, and he doesn't. He knows it's fucking loaded this time. He knows it's loaded this time. And he comes across Captain Rhodes. Uh, Captain Rhodes is holding a machine gun, uh, but hasn't fucking loaded it yet for some reason. He deserves to die for that alone, dumb shit. Anyway, he tries to um, <laughs> frantically load it in a panic state, and Bob, uh, at this point, shoots at him, and so Rhodes like turns to run away. Before he gets around the corner, Bob shoots him in the back. And uh, Captain Rhodes smacks against the wall, drops the ammunition before he can put it in the gun. He's still got the gun. He then tries to uh, you know, get the gun. He notices that he's dropped the ammo, but he doesn't want to turn and get it because Bob's just about to come around the corner where the ammo is. So he runs off. Bob continues to shoot at him, hits him a couple more times. Rhodes almost gets to a door 
Uh, <laughs> well, no, he does get through a door. And he opens it, and on the other side are a bunch more zombies. He screams, turns around, Bob is there, shoots him one more time, and Rhodes falls backwards into the horde of zombies behind him. And they tear, they begin to tear at him, and he's screaming. And as they chow down, Bob salutes Captain Rhodes once more time, and then starts to just walk, and then just walks off, lets the rest of the zombies just have at it. And yeah. oh, do they have at it? They oh. they rip, they tear his bottom half off essentially. While he's still sc- he screams he's still for a good scr- couple seconds yeah. after his bottom half's fucking wandering down the hallway. Yeah, and then there's like some other zombies, and they're starting to like eat his like, entrails, like his presumably his intestines, and he starts screaming choke on them repeatedly, and basically dies while screaming choke on them to the zombies. Uh, and following this is the scene of the zombies all. Eating these four soldiers and and the others as well, but yeah, just eating human meat. I it once again, like I said during the gut scene, we can't do it justice. Um, no, this this is one of the things you have to watch. Yeah, for this scene alone, not only is it, I love that the most gruesome deaths are reserved in this film for the most satisfying kills. Because these characters dying is so satisfying. <laughs> after the, the the rest of the film, especially Road. In fact, I say um, you have to watch it. Of course, you've watched it. Who the fuck listens to this for this long? <laughs> and hasn't seen. Who do- watch the film twice round? <laughs> yeah, we've been talking. Well, the recording I have is now over eight hours. Yeah, that's mate, longer than that's longer than all three of the films by a by a wide margin. Um, depends on if you're talking the actually if you're talking the cans cut. This is still, yeah, yeah. So, and then we finish off on the island. Yeah. Uh, after seeing the carnage, Xu, which I think kind of adds to that nihilistic, mm. fuck it philosophy. Um, I said that it's a reasonable point if you want to take that. I don't myself. And um, that if someone wished to take on the ideal of complete nihilism. <laughs> a certain brand of nihilism I think, nihilism that says fuck it, we're all doomed anyway might as well have fun, there's nothing wrong with that I'm, I mean, I'm not really I, I, I personally think that we do make our own meaning in life but I don't think it's a fuck it, I can do whatever I like I think it's a fuck it we're all here, we should Nihilism, not hedonism. Yeah, well, I I don't mind a bit of hedonism as well, because doing what feels good doesn't necessarily mean treating other people badly. Yeah, as long as as it's about balance, you know, you do what feels right, you know, live an enjoyable life, but also make life enjoyable for the people around you, because that's that also makes your life enjoyable as well. You know, if you see I, it from a different, it's a good philosophy. Yeah, uh, uh, treat others how you wish to be treated. It's it's on the yeah, it's one of the one of the uh... better verses from the Bible. Yes, that ever was shoved out. It's um, 
much much better than the one where you know most if of I it, don't frankly. If I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't need to go into it. I don't want to insult any Christians uh, too I'll much. I'll fucking insult you if you've come this long. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I might, but I won't right now. Uh, anyway. Uh, uh, three absolutely excellent films. And w- one thing I really do regret in my time, in the same way, you know, that where people say they have a band they regret not seeing before they died, I really regret now not having talked to George Romero and asking him which philosophy he kind of abided by from that dinner room. Mm. Um, which person he sided with. Even if it was none of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. to yeah. have known. I mean... Who he thought was right. Yeah. I do wonder if he... Because considering how, like, just utterly hopeless a lot of the messaging of the films are, I wonder if he deliberately made the final conclusion. Does he agree with John, basically? I don't know if that's showing everything to be just so miserable. Um, but, I mean, then he has, he has Sarah take out the uh, calendar and mark off something. Mm-hmm. The day. So there's that... that element of hope and ambition for something more yeah. than just subsistence Is it in there. a life carrying on kind of message? And I like, can't see a man who created films well into his 70s having the philosophy of let's go for it. I can't see a man who had a message to give well into his 70s going fuck it. Yeah. Um, and saying that I've been told these later films do continue even if it's a lot more heavy-handed into late years, a philosophy of sorts. Uh, and the, yeah, he's not a nihilist, that's for certain. No, I don't think he believes in. Uh, yeah, I, d- I don't think. He, I think he shows a ni- I think these films have really. They're just dark. <laughs> I think he's a realist, definitely. I think the situation... I think... I think he has the right attitude in that an apocalypse setting is bad. A lot of apocalypse <laughs> films have too much, like, enjoying the apocalypse itself. Like, you know, like Mad Max. There is camp enjoyment in uh, the apocalypse itself there's um there's a certain kind of person who can find uh entertainment or even uh idealism in that scenario whereas in romero's zombie apocalypse no it is an un unforgiving it is unforgivingly awful the end of humanity is just bad you know, there's no, two, there's no ifs or buts about it. Yeah, it's a Harrison Ellison novel. Yeah, basically, is the end of fucking humanity. I, I I like that because personally, I think the end of the species I belong to would be a bad thing too. <laughs> I, I I think that the oh, that, I think a zombie apocalypse. The the people who like. 
think what a too brave much. Statement. Of, the people who think <laughs> too much about like what they would do in a zombie apocalypse and almost fantasize about it happening, it's like, no, no, I don't want it to happen. <laughs> I really don't want it to happen. And these films really showcase why. They really emphasize no, the apocalypse is bad. <laughs> Whereas a lot of other films, like you know, like they enjoy it too much. These films don't. I think with that, um, and at the end, as I Ty mentioned, we we kind of do a recommendation thing where we go through films similar to this that we'd recommend. Uh, for a start, I'd recommend just rewatching all three films yeah. from first to last, and watch, uh, in one sitting, kind of thing. And watch Land of the Dead as well. I would say, don't watch Diary and don't watch Survival. I'm going to have to not... force you to go through Land, Diary and Survival just so you're <laughs> pissed off about something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, it's I suppose it's they're not long films, so you might as well watch them just to have watched them. But Diary is... It's a, it's a found footage film that doesn't really work as a found footage film. And survival, survival's okay actually. It has its merit. It's enjoyable in places. It's a fine film, and it's also, I believe, the last film Romero made. So, for that alone, Probably. it's kind of, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so I think it's just to see Romero's swan song. Yeah, and I think I mean outside of those, we've been talking about Harrison Lawson. Anyway. Um... A Boy and His Dog, I stand by it. Especially if you're a Fallout fan, in terms mm. of apocalypse stuff. It, it is miserable, that one. And my dad couldn't sit through it, um, because he's got a problem with rape in right. films, which I, I fully understand, and some people have a problem with that. Uh, I have, I have uh, to be in a uh, very certain mood where I can deal with it. Cause, uh, my, my dad has yeah. a big problem with protagonists that are just irredeemable as well. Mm. Um, and a boy and his dog has a protagonist that is a psychopath. A lot of people have um, that problem. Yeah, I I don't see any problem with you having a problem with that. Um, I personally don't mind irredeemable protagonists at all, because um, protagonist doesn't mean heroes, and never has. But I can understand because a lot of people, protagonist does mean the good guy, the hero. I think he just draws a line at sexual assault, and that's mm. for a lot of people. That's I I fully understand. But again, the apocalypse uh, for me, it's just that's that. Um, and if if you can't watch the film, I'd recommend reading the book. It's a short, uh, which does follow the same kind of following. Or I have no mouth and I'm a scream. The book, which is freely available online, or the game, which is on GOG for like one pound. <laughs> Um, both of which are very good. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think the underlining thing is just watch the trilogy again. And watch Martin. Was... And Martin. God, yeah, Martin. Great I film. And the reason I'm, I haven't actually watched it myself, uh, I'm recommending you watch it because that's what I'm going to do, finally. I'm going to find it and watch it. So Martin and uh, watch Amusement Park. Ah. Some point. Just, just the sake of watching it, it's fascinating bit of uh, public announcement shit, weird stuff. 
uh, that was banned for being too horrific. Yeah. Yeah. I'm and lost because of that. Adding it. Uh, watch this. Well, I mean, thanks for whoever stuck around. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, we have there's these three films are amazing, and I'm happy to talk about these three films for so long. Personally, I hope you have enjoyed listening to us talk. Hi, Ty, the only person who's willing to sit through. Yeah. I don't know how I've talked for this long. I was, that's, I was, that's what I do, I was, to be fair. I think it's half me, half you. Yeah, I, I was worried, because this is my first time on this uh, podcast, I did not know if I was worried that I wouldn't have anything to say. I guess I was very wrong. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, I'll see you guys next time. <laughs> Cheers for listening and bye. Bye.